because as I said before, he was such a huge influence on me. Mm. I felt like he was still in my mind and very relevant to me. Yeah. And the conversations I was having about him were just conversations I was having about him. I thought about him a lot and talked about him a lot. So it wasn't strange to me. Hello, I'm Dave. I'm the guy that's putting all this stuff together. I need to get better. Please make me better. I want to get better. Better. Better acquainted with you. Today, or in fact tonight, we are getting better acquainted again with Louise. Hello, Louise. Hello. So Uh, that's officially even better acquainted. Even better acquainted. Yeah, that's what I should have said. Even be- that's right, even better acquainted. You're the editor, Dave, you can do it. I can, sw- I can swap that around, yeah. but I probably won't. <laughs> I've already asked you in the previous show how you met me, and the answer, if I remember correctly, and I should because I was there, is that we met at university studying mm-hmm. theatre studies. Yeah. The other question that I ask people is, what do you do now? Oh, I wish I could remember what I said. Before. Yeah, it'd be interesting. Um, People can compare, see if you... Yeah, I'm still doing uh, the theatre and education. French shows, mainly in primary school. Yeah, not much has changed since when we last spoke, which would have been in the spring. Yeah, it was, I think, the spring. Yeah, it's it's all sort of... It all all flows into one, really, this this show for me. I mean, I've been recording these shows for a long time, and now they've started to come out. and And then some of the ones that I've recorded more recently... I put out earlier so it, how it sort of works narratively for me in my life is very confused because I'm I'm putting them out not in a narrative order so, so I start getting confused a bit distorted yeah that's right and when you did you say to me that you put them out in a certain order yeah I do I try to put them out so that there's a lot of variety I guess so I don't want to put two episodes of a similar kind of sounding person or a person with okay. similar interests so that's my aim. Ah, that's interesting because I've got loads off of iTunes together and just listened to them in a higgledy-piggledy order. And then once you'd said that to me, I thought, oh, I should probably start listening to them in order. Ah, uh, well, I, I, think, I think that you get something out of it listening to it in order, but, you, but hopefully that every episode stands alone. So hopefully, yeah. hopefully that, that higgledy-piggledy should work. I imagine some people will just sort of look at what they're about and go, oh, I'm interested in that thing, I'll listen to that person. If you see what I mean. Oh, yeah. A um, little tagline. So this is sort of... It's not exactly a first. I have done some second conversations with people. In fact, it's the second one that's happened in this kind of way, which is that there were things in the first conversation that we didn't get to or that were left out that I thought, oh, it would be nice to, nice to follow that up and cover those, those things. Yeah. The difference between... The other conversation I recorded, which was a follow-up, and this one, is that with the first one, it was things that I hadn't asked them, that I wanted to ask them. It was two different people. I get them on together. That's Jack and George, whenever that goes out. Whereas with this one, I finished the conversation, and I was I was very happy with it. It was very uh, engaging, I think. Mm. And then we talked afterwards, and uh, you sort of said you said you said it was a little bit like. Like being in therapy. Yes. <laughs> which I, I thought it was, it felt a bit like that at the time. But when I listened back to it, when I was editing it, I, I was surprised at how much like therapy it was on my side as well. I, I, I felt like, like I'd be really going into some uh, 
therapy type places for myself yeah. as, as well which was interesting when I listened to it again um, and as I said to you I, I wouldn't have listened to it again I don't think because I don't like listening to myself but I thought as we were going to do a part two yeah. maybe it would be a good idea and I was pleasantly surprised that it wasn't as horrific as I thought it would be <laughs> but I did notice myself saying hmm yeah a lot yeah the second half when we were talking about our childhoods which I think is probably what you were referring to mainly in terms of therapy yeah that's the kind of therapist thing to do isn't it positive like mm, mm. yes go, go <laughs> on is. a lot of the responses that I've had to your episode have been really positive from from listeners and I think the thing that everybody likes very much and I'll say it now and it'll probably it, then it then it'll inhibit you for the rest of the conversation why not is that everyone really <laughs> likes everyone really likes your voice oh. uh, listening to your voice so and, and I, I was finding that too when I was editing it I was like I could really just listen to Louise talk, you know, for, for, for all all the time. Really, it's kind of the vo- kind of voice you want to hear when you're going to sleep, which I think probably bodes well for future children or whatever. Oh yeah, you have a nice that's... nice voice to read people's stories, which is. But that's really nice to hear because I don't, and I I know that what the voice that we hear is not the voice that other people hear. Yeah, yeah. Which I find fascinating. Well, I think I hear my own voice much more like it is now because I've heard so much of it oh. in recording now that when I speak, it starts to sound much more like in the recordings. I'm wow, so you can hear past what you can I hear to what other so. people can hear. Yeah, I think so, but I mean, how can I know? I can never know. Yeah, you'll if never I, know. I'll never know. So, apart from saying that it was a bit like therapy, <laughs> you, you also said, oh, I, I realised I, I missed a, a, a really really kind of big big detail out yeah and when you told me what that detail was I was like whoa that completely changes and flips (laughs) the conversation and actually I mean Jen my girlfriend who you also know she knew about that detail when she was listening to it she had the experience of of knowing what you you know so it was a different experience for Mm. her listening to it because she knew about it so Louise what was the big part of <laughs> of your experience that you kind of missed out from the last conversation? Um, I laugh because it's it's quite crazy that I should fail to mention this, and it's, it's well, not it's very, the first time. I think it's really interesting that that, yes. we, that people do forget these kind of things. Yeah. I can imagine it happening to most people. Although I wouldn't Lots say I people. forgot it. It was something that I was aware that I hadn't mentioned, and I think I was just about to mention it, and then you asked me a question which kind of took another path so I, I didn't and then thought hmm I probably should have said that it's quite interesting that I yeah that. but the thing that I didn't mention was uh one of the things that featured highly in the last conversation that we had was my stepdad and how he was a, a very good influence on my yeah. life he died he's not with us anymore yeah. and actually I when I listened to it I noticed that at one point I I used the present tense when referring to Chris which is unusual because normally I I say I talk about him in the past tense but I'm talking about the past so it doesn't it doesn't seem strange and people don't notice Mm. and when I was at university at the very end of the first year I one of the girls that I was quite good friends with in my kitchen she asked a question about Chris and I turned around and said oh well he died he's he's dead and she was just horrified because for pretty much a whole year or a whole academic year I've been talking about him presumably like he was still there yeah but I guess at that point it was quite fresh because he fresh is probably a bad word to use there <laughs> but um fresh in your mind fresh in my mind quite recent because he died 
or when I was on my year out before university. So when I went to university, because as I said before, he was such a huge influence on me, mm. I felt like he was still in my mind and very relevant to me. Yeah. And the conversations I was having about him were just conversations I was having about him. I thought about him a lot and talked about him a lot. Um, so it wasn't strange to me that I would no, talk but, about him. So I mean, much. I mean, we would all talk about our parents to the people that we went to university. With. Yeah, but but you didn't mention to them that he he passed no. away, and I had no idea that I hadn't mentioned it, or that it wasn't, or that it, it seemed so much like he was still alive like it never even occurred to me that I would need to say it um and then of course at that point I suddenly thought I've never mentioned that he's not around anymore which in itself is quite huge because it was so recent that he died his death was a huge thing and a huge very recent thing so that's kind of odd that I didn't mention that I mean yeah well I mean I guess you didn't you weren't at that moment wanting to talk to everybody about the experience of it yeah and also I think very much so at that point, his influence on my life was very positive. And that actually, I would say, outweighed the sadness of his death at that point. I think probably a little bit naively, and I'll maybe I'll explain why I thought it was naive later, but I, I was just very aware of, like, that's amazing that he was with us for those years, for those few years. Yeah. And my mum always said the same as well, that we had such fantastic years together. And as I said before, it was the kind of informative years for me growing up as a teenager when, you know, a male role model and and a positive role model is is so important. Yeah. And it it did change me. So, you know, I think that kind of outweighed the fact that he wasn't there anymore. And I say naively because I remember thinking later in life in more recent years what was I thinking? Like, thinking about my mum. Yeah. Because, yes, she said, you know, I'm so glad that we had those years, and obviously would have rather had had them than never have met him. But I didn't quite have a grasp of that age. That age would have been 18. Hmm. I guess how much more of her life my mum had left ahead of her that should have been spent with Chris. Yeah. And it kind of dawned on me one day, like like a kind of a punch in the chest like what a loss that must have been for her yeah because I suppose at that age you know my mum is is old yeah (laughs) I don't know I said that but you know there's a she's getting to that age where it's the the later years of life yeah and it didn't quite occur to me just how many more years there were there's a lot of them yeah there's a lot of years left and that's you know more years than I've already lived now I mean, your mum was probably the age that my dad was when he had me, probably. Yeah. Something similar yeah. to that. Yeah, she would have been early 50s. Well, yeah, then my dad mid- was older than her when he had me. Yeah. 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 Crazy. And of course, I never thought she was going to die, you know, soon. Yeah. But I know that that's not that old, but I, I just didn't quite think about how many years there were to be lived without Chris for her. Because for me, of course... Of course there was the rest of my life without Chris and that was a very long time. I didn't quite equate that to how to my mum, I suppose. I don't know if that makes sense. Yeah, well, I, I think um, if you were very... I mean, it sounds to me like it was a kind of... A bl- a bl- I, I used the word... Well, I just, I'm just going to use the word... A kind of blessed 
sort of thing for you like yeah. that, that, that this person had come and you'd have this connection mm. yeah, and, and it was kind of really positive mm. and so I can I can understand why the the kind of positivity of knowing him might 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 sort of yeah make you I don't know feel feel in a, an unusual way about about what what yeah. happened and yeah I mean that's the thing one of the things we don't really talk about about death is that everybody responds to it in such different ways mm. that 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 it seems very reasonable in some ways for you to kind of he was so alive in your in your life that he was alive when you were talking about yeah. him to people yes you were in your year out yeah what were you doing in your year so out? straight after college I went traveling for two months and weirdly my nana died just before oh. we were due to leave actually she'd she got ill quite quickly and got very ill quite quickly. So I went from living home with my granddad to going to hospital and died in hospital quite mm. soon, which I think was a, a good thing that it was quite quick. So we had to put our trip back for her funeral, really. So yeah. not long after that, we then went. And I was again thinking, actually, I'm so glad that it happened now and I didn't have to come back and didn't have to be away for her being ill and I got to go and visit her in hospital. Yeah, That would have been over the summer. So again, I could go and see her quite a lot because I wasn't at college. Yeah, it's funny, isn't it, to say I, I'm being lucky about someone's death <laughs> but I feel like I'm glad that I got that time and it happened when it did and it, it was convenient for me but that I could be there yeah well there are lots of different ways that death can happen I mean mm. there, there are lucky deaths and unlucky deaths and lucky circumstances yeah, around true. them I mean it, yeah it, it's 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 tricky to negotiate the language isn't it mm. because you don't ever want to yeah. offend anybody or say something that you don't mean we went off traveling out with a friend for two months and Chris was diagnosed with cancer while I was away. Um, and they didn't tell me that, they chose not to tell me. And so I came back. And the night that I got back, they told me about it. But it was very, it was a very kind of positive thing. It was cancer of the esophagus, which was very curable. And there'd been a lot of advances in that area. And the doctors were quite hopeful and... You know, the treatment was underway. And I don't think I really noticed physically Chris looking ill. It was quite near the start of his treatment, I suppose. So that, you know, that's the way things were. Chris had given up work and my mum had given up work as well. She had quite a stressful, busy job, so she decided to give up her job to, to be with him. And I got a job for the rest of that year working in a residential home. So again, I was living at home for that year and very grateful that I hadn't left university already yeah. and that I was living with them and that was great and because my mum and Chris were around and I was working shift work we would go for days out and stuff and it was a really nice period actually it was you know Chris was very tired and it was hard with the treatment he had chemotherapy so he was you know very tired and suffered a lot with mouth ulcers and, and skin problems and things so that I that was quite hard yeah um, there was a constant reminder of it, but I, you know, I remember being it's quite happy times, I guess, being together in that respect. And actually, it wasn't it wasn't that long. I got back from my trip would have been at the end of October, I suppose, and he died um, in May, so right. it was pretty quick. Yeah. But for most of that time, it was all very hopeful. It was all right. Well, this is the program. This is what we're doing, and this is what's going to happen next. And then, just kind of towards the very end. I actually, for the first time, took a day off work and to go to a hospital appointment with my mum and Chris. 
which I've never, I've never been for an appointment before, but I went this time, and the doctor said, we're not going to do radiotherapy. And of course we were, why? And he said, because it's not going to help. And that was that. Was that. Which was crazy because we'd gone into it going, you know, how much has it shrunk by, has it gone? It was not what we expected to hear and it was never what we'd been told. And I don't mean that to say that we'd been misled, but I, they'd just, you know, it hadn't worked as it was supposed yeah. to. So it was a huge shock, like not what we were expecting to come away with at all. Um, I don't know when that was, but it wasn't that long. He was given however long it was to live and he didn't make it that far mm. um, I guess he just gave up and then that's again I, I had a, a great I was working in a great place that allowed me to take time off and I actually just kind of stopped going to work at the very end and kind of thankfully it did all happen quite quickly my mum and I were looking after Chris at home because he didn't want to go into a hospice and we didn't want that for him either which was fine, and, and then it wasn't fine anymore. And it was, it was unmanageable, really. We were taking in turns to be up in, in the night time, mm. not getting sleep. Having to do quite kind of hardcore caring, yeah. I suppose. But it never, it never occurred to me at all to, to question this. It wasn't something that I didn't want to do. Mm. It was absolutely what we were going to do. And there was no question. And again, you know, not having to go into work was amazing. That meant that I could be there and help my mum. I also had a, a good friend who had lost her mum not long before who said to me, have you said your goodbyes? Have you said everything you want to say? And I, and I hadn't, it hadn't occurred to me, even though you know it, it was fairly obvious it hadn't occurred to me to do that, and so I did. It was just at the right moment because Chris wasn't really with it, but he was just with it enough, and I, I know he heard what I yeah. said, but I'm just like, thank God that person said that thing then. And I think that's something that I will probably always say to other people because, you know, if she hadn't said it, I wouldn't have done it, you know. It's hard to know when's think. the right time. Yeah. Like, that's what yeah. I always worry about. But, yeah. Yeah, it is. If you say it too early, then then you're sort of stuck there with the final words and then you've got kind of... Yeah. Do I say them again? or you know, Yeah. Do you... And it's kind of just stumping down yes you're not going to last much longer isn't it like that's what yeah, you're saying exactly and that's a really horrible thing to to have to have a conversation about really when i was because this is interesting because we actually the we both spoke at a spark an open mic spark mm. event true stories which was about parents and you, you told a a, a, a very wonderful story which didn't record uh, <laughs> yeah. about your stepdad situation and I, and I I I told a story about my my, mm. my father and it just when you're sort of saying that it, it occurs to me the thing that I missed out the big issue that I missed out of that story mm. was that when I was uh, I think I was 17 I was trying to work this out recently my dad had a quadruple heart bypass and he went into hospital mm. and you know, and I don't. I didn't say goodbye. He he, he survived. He survived for. A, he's still alive now. But I didn't say goodbye to him then. Yeah. And if he'd have died then, then I wouldn't have said goodbye. God, that's an even harder thing, though, isn't it? Because if someone's going in for an operation, the hope is they will come out better. Yeah, exactly. So and I so didn't. In yeah, who would goodbye, want to say goodbye? You're, you're facing the fact that they might not. Whereas at least with Chris, we all knew what was happening. But that did you did you think about whether you should say goodbye, or did it not occur to you to do so? 
I I remember like hugging him and stuff but I don't think I was I'm not sure if I was there on the day that he actually went in Mm. I know that I mean because what happened to me was he all of nearly all of my family were in a family wedding in Scotland yeah a lot of them were there my sister came down on that day and I basically I didn't know what to do and I had I I stayed near my dad because I didn't want to leave so I didn't go to my sister's my old one of my older sister's wedding uh, Rebecca's wedding I didn't go to it because I wanted to stay near my dad and then my friend Owen and my other friend Steve kind of I don't know how it happened I can't remember how it happened but they just turned up at my house in the morning and said come on you're going out and they they took me out to the art gallery uh, in Cardiff Not and it wasn't something that they were they're not particularly into yeah. art I'm not even particularly into that kind of art it was just you know all them portraits yeah. of people of old of old of, you know historical yeah, yeah. portraits I, I got no relation to it but I mean I was just sort of standing there in this art gallery and I just remember being just so pleased that I was doing something yeah. and that they and I don't know like, I, I can't ever thank them enough for what they did yeah. really and, and it, it shows a real level of emotional maturity yeah, and connection and they were 17 they were, isn't that yeah exactly is it? I mean I, I I might have even been younger than 17 because now we're saying 17 I'm thinking I might have been a bit younger but but yeah, they would have been only in the year above me, and yeah. and and they. Then I met my sister for lunch in Pizza Express, <laughs> and then we went to a pub and got really drunk and talked about relationships. And my, I talked about my girlfriend, yeah. and she talked about her her <laughs> boyfriend, and we had a kind of we're adults finally. You know, we're actually yeah. here's a moment where we're treating each other like adults. Was that like the first time? I think so. Happened? Yeah, because she's much older than me. She's, I mean, what she's she's in her late fifties now. So okay, but is that also your dad's daughter? Yeah, that's right. We're 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 both his, Mm. and we didn't. I don't remember talking about him Mm. or anything. Like everything was a distraction. Yeah, and and a a welcome distraction. The right thing to do. But yeah, I never said goodbye to him then, and, and and now, I mean, he's a little bit unwell at the moment. Hopefully, that will go away. Mm. But he's, you know, he's eighty-seven now, and he's, as you know, because you know him, yeah. he's 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 older. Like he he looks old for the first time. Really? I think because he's a good eighty-seven. Yeah, he looks good for his age still. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. but but I, you can't you can't pretend he's young anymore. Yeah. And I've sort of been worrying about him maybe dying since, well, since I was six yeah. years old and he had a heart attack when I was sharing a bed with him. And that's when he had the heart attack? Yeah. Well, yeah, he must have had the heart attack when he was lying in bed by me and he didn't want to wake me, so he got out of bed oh and he God. went through. I don't think he knew he had a heart attack. I think he, had, he yeah. thought he had indigestion because it was a minor heart attack. And yeah. uh, he'd been drinking the night before, he'd been up late drinking, so he thought it was just indigestion and... He was kind of dismissive of the idea that it was a heart attack and wow. stuff. And I sort of woke up and he wasn't there. And that was the, the shock moment. Mm. And then from then on, I've been aware that he could die. But he hasn't. And I've been very lucky. 
I mean, really, what happened to you is kind of what my greatest fear, fear was when I was growing up, that yeah. he would die when I was young. And and it's it's really interesting to me that that you you really appreciate the time that you had mm. rather than regretting the time that you lost. Because that's yeah. what... Although that's I always think been as, my as time goes on, I think I, I regret it more. Yeah. Although I don't appreciate it any less. No, no, no. But but I also am grateful that I was old enough as well to be able to support my mum, I suppose, and do that. And the end of the story was we were looking after him and it was getting harder and harder and we had a Marie Curie nurse that was coming in at, at night at the end. And my mum said we may have to go for a hospice because it was getting it was getting crazy. And there was one night when my mum was in bed and I was up with Chris and he hadn't um he wasn't he didn't move very much by this point. He was very, very weak. And he suddenly started coughing and, and um and sat up, which was weird because he didn't he wasn't doing that at that point. And you know that it was it was like one o'clock in the morning, two o'clock in the morning. That that scary time where all your senses are heightened. Yeah. Um. And he coughed. And he coughed up, not nice stuff. Yeah. And he was incontinent. And then he just slouched and fell against me and didn't move. And I. I thought that's it, and I didn't know what to do, and he wasn't breathing. And my mum was asleep, and he was leaning against me. And it was such a long time, although I don't know how long it was. I thought that was it. And then he took a breath. And, I mean, I don't know. I, I feel like there was some kind of departure there. And I don't know how to reconcile that with the fact that then he was there again. You know, I don't know biologically, medically, how you know what goes on in the body, but... That, you know, I, that's a moment that I will never have anything like again. And it wasn't exactly a nice moment of looking after him. It was absolutely terrifying. Yeah. Um, and I don't know if I've ever told my mum that, actually. It was such a personal thing and such a... You know, I don't know what... Did I imagine that he'd died? I don't know. It was almost like it was, it was unreal. Um... And I, th- I mentioned in the, the Spark story about, you know, that how my Spark story was about how much I learned from Chris. Yeah. And, you know, that's something I didn't learn. I don't know what went on that night. I think that was the last night that we were on our own before the Marie Curie nurse came. And we were there and we, we knew, we decided that the next day we would talk about it and make a decision about whether we could continue doing this. Because it was obviously emotionally horrific yeah you want to be the person caring for them but at the same time you don't want to lose their memory and they don't want to be a burden to you there's all these are all the things i'm i'm thinking about at the moment yeah and that's what hospices are for obviously you know they are great places but we never had to because he died that night so that would have been a few nights after the night that i was with him like the relief that we didn't have to make that choice and it was Again, it was amazing. I think we were both... Um, my mum had been up with him a little while. The nurse had woken her up, and then they woke me up. And I, I just find it amazing how they know. They always know, don't they? Something about the breathing. Yeah. And, like... Yeah, I just find that amazing how they obviously have so much experience. They, I guess they've, they've seen really, it so many times. You know, yeah. You must get to know the workings of the human body in a way that you and I never will, because yeah. we don't have that kind of contact all the time. Yeah, absolutely. So, 
I mean, that's that's right. You're, the Spark story, and the Spark is a, a true storytelling event. Mm. And we were at a live mic event in Brixton. The story that you told at Spark was very, I thought, very moving and interesting because it was so positive. Because mm. it was really about the things that you'd learnt from uh, Chris. Mm, yeah. And also, I kind of because you, you just you'd had you'd spoken to your mum just uh, just yeah, recently we'd about it. Been down for the weekend, stay with her, mm. and I'd come from hers to directly to Spark, and we were chatting about. Um, and this is the, how I ended the story. Was I think? Oh, did we have an omelette? No, we had some eggs, and Mum came out with. Oh, I wish I'd asked Chris how to make an omelette. He used to make <laughs> amazing omelettes. And you would never thought to ask how it was done. Yeah, that's the thing. <laughs> that was, <laughs> there aren't many regrets about, you know, about Chris. But, so that was a, that's a nice regret to have. But you never, So you, you guys never asked him how to make an omelette? No. But you did learn a lot of things from him? Yeah. And what, what, what sort of things did you learn from him? Um, well, I think I talked last in the last yeah, podcast right. about um, how you know how grounded he was and how laid back he was. So I, I like to think I might have absorbed some of that. Well, I think this is really interesting because if I had to describe you, those are the kind of words I would use: grounded, <laughs> confident, relaxed, that sort of attitude to the yeah. world. I, I'm certainly not always like that, but those are the things that I aim to be well, I'm so, sure, well that's what you said last time you said yeah. I'm not actually like that but that's how you seem to be I think yeah I think part of yeah and, I, I am definitely and, and it's interesting to me that this that, that you got that you've absorbed that because yeah. that's very definitely a nurture thing yeah because a lot of the time I mean I, I'm, I'm a when I'm thinking about generational things I'm thinking well you know how much is genetics and mm. how much is not genetics, how much can I change and how much is harder to change, you know, and how much might I pass on to my children if I had children and how much could I, uh, could I change if I was to, yeah. you know. And, and so it's very interesting to me that, that one of them... Do you think you were... Do you think you had those qualities before you knew Chris? Well, I don't know if they would have come out in me later, but I don't think I had those qualities before... As I also said last time, yeah. I remember my kind of late childhood, early teenage years being quite tumultuous. So I certainly wouldn't say that I was a, a, a calm, grounded person. I was always very quiet, quite shy, like at school and stuff. So I wasn't like a... I wasn't a show-off, which I suppose could be the opposite of being calm. <laughs> but um, yeah, I don't think I was like that. I think it was, yeah. And actually, I think a lot of the things I learned from Chris were kind of by osmosis, not directly taught. Like, he was a chef. His first profession was a chef at the Dorchester. But he never taught me to make anything. I can't think of a, a single time that he taught me a recipe. Or he probably did, but I can't remember it. But I learnt... I guess I was inspired by his... He was quite creative. He was, mm. you know, some of this, some of that in the pot kind of... 
because yeah, you're, you, you're a good cook as well because I'm eating your food and I know yeah so I'm not very good at recipes and things oh I hate recipes and uh, obviously <laughs> Jen your girlfriend and I have cake uh, battles yeah well she's a she recipe wins. person yeah she's, she's Bella and her lemon drizzle cake is better than mine there you go it's on uh, it's on tape <laughs> so I don't do recipes but I, I, I guess I learned from Chris in the like have a go and experiment kind of cooking yeah. I learned some uh some useful expressions like we were at home one day and I was, I was walking back from the kitchen to the lounge and I had some fruit in my hand and I dropped some of it and rolled it under the sofa so I kind of got down on my hands and knees and was looking under the sofa for, um, and, and Chris said what are you doing and I said I've, I've lost, lost a cherry cherry just fell on the cherry and he said Ah, oh, you've lost your cherry, have you? <laughs> <laughs> I would have been about 16, I guess, at that yeah. point. And I was like, yeah, I've lost my cherry. And my mum came in. I said, Mum, I've lost my cherry. And um, she and Chris exchanged a look. And I gathered that that meant something. And I found out what that meant. Yeah. <laughs> he loved uh, he loved winding me up. But especially <laughs> in that kind of way, if it meant embarrassing me in some way. Well, that's an excellent, that's an excellent you, one, one to do. You've got to find out more than he would have hoped, I think, when yeah, he first start, when he first introduced it. <laughs> Do you think it changes? Do you think when people, if people listen back to the first interview with you, if they haven't listened to it before, or even if they listen to it again, yeah. Do you think it should change anything in the way that they respond to, to what you said or not? Ooh, good question. Um, I don't know. I guess you can't help but think about it in a different way, can you? Um, but I remember you saying, I think the question that you asked me that I almost started talking about Chris's death on was you said about when we met in the first year of university, I yeah. seemed quite grounded or yeah. something like that. And I suppose it was because I just had this year where this has happened. So nothing can knock you in a way because... Again, maybe that's part of it. I mean, because most people, it's really shocking going into university because there's so many new things and they find it really hard. But if you've had a really hard experience, maybe that yeah, I don't know about nothing would knock me. But no, yeah, I certainly I'm, I'm sure things knock you. Perspective, isn't yeah. it? And I, I certainly must have grown up a lot in that year. Like that's more than your normal year out, isn't it? Yeah, yeah, I think so. I mean, I, I don't know. I never had a had a year out. I've always sort of wished I had, but oh, really? I think a lot of people learn things about themselves if they learn anything at all, and you learn stuff about life. Do you know yeah, what I mean? Yeah. I mean, I'm sure there was self knowledge in in what you learnt as well, but it was also yes, it, yeah, I think so. Because I've never had someone close to me die. Uh, my granddad died when I was younger but I wasn't really I didn't really know him mm. and I was sad at his funeral and I went to Jen's granddad's funeral and I was you know there for her and for her mum and all of that stuff yeah. and that was hard seeing you know kind of grief in people's eyes and not being able to get get it out you know yeah, you can't is, isn't it? you can't make a joke you can't yeah and and what you were saying about your friends who came and took you to an art gallery, actually, that yeah, it is such a it's a selfless thing to do, isn't it? Because putting yourself in that position with someone who's just lost someone or someone whose you know dad is in the operating theatre is 
I think possibly one of the hardest situations to be in because you you can never say the right thing and you always feel like you said the wrong thing and it's such a hard position to be in. And just I think yeah, I think the thing to be is just to be with people if yeah. they want you there and you don't have to say anything. I mean that's the thing, you don't have it's not it's not like after the death maybe a year after maybe they want, might want to talk about it but you don't pick at yeah. it don't pick at it when it's fresh do you know what I mean that's that's a mistake that I think sometimes people make but yeah. that's what I was so glad about that they didn't pick at it they just you know were with me I think when I think about Jen's granddad's funeral the thing that all of her the thing I'm kind of famous for or the part of the mythology that that they, <laughs> that they built around me as all families do is this that there was a piece of cheese and everyone kept cutting this piece of cheese a little bit smaller and it was after the funeral and you know it was getting ridiculous and it was getting smaller and smaller and no one would have the last piece of cheese and I just grabbed it and shoved it in my mouth and then that was the over that was the end of it but it would have gone on for because because you know everyone's so brittle and yeah you know and it was just getting small and you know and it was just getting it was painful to watch this piece of cheese just seemed to I don't know mean a lot more yeah and and popping it popping it in my mouth just uh made everyone laugh and just (laughs) the tension went you know whereas if I tried to make a joke that would have been a mistake Mm. but uh it happened organically I guess but I think that's something I've probably learnt it as well is you know not trying to say the right thing I suppose um, and I, I learnt that from being on the other side of it and, and having people trying to say the right thing and I just remember thinking actually I, I feel very sorry for you because it, you must be feeling really bad right now being with me where I am um, so and I you know I guess I I just appreciated their efforts so I don't I try not to worry too much about saying the right thing and in fact, that's usually the right thing to I do. I mean, I always try and say I'm sorry for your loss when it's somebody I don't know very well, in a way. If I, if I know them well, then I can talk to them. A yeah. bit. But I think there's a formality that I think is kind of appropriate. Sometimes people yeah. like that formal Yeah, and actually thing. sometimes that is the right thing. Yeah. And that, that is also the right thing. But it's so hard. It's so hard to mm. know what, what, what to say. But I mean, I've yeah, I've I've never experienced anybody close to me dying, but I have always lived with this shadow of the yeah. fact that my my dad could die. And I think that's something, also, because having lost Chris, all of a sudden I became aware that my mum could disappear as well. And when I went to Togo for four months, I remember. Um, we were on a, a particularly long trip in a bush taxi and just thinking, I hadn't spoken to my mum in a few days probably, and thinking, I, I have no idea if she's okay. And I think maybe I tried to phone her when she hadn't been there. And it was, it was the reverse situation of the worried parent trying to get hold of their child. But suddenly I understood what it must be like for a parent. And, yeah. And it just... And it, that hasn't left me, I think. I'm, I am always aware of... The, you know, the potential for this person to disappear on me which will never I'll never stop feeling that no it's a funny thing I always think when when Jen's out late I'm always really really worried yeah. I can't sleep until she's home because I, I think something terrible has happened to her but she doesn't have the same experience when I'm out hmm. and uh, like she doesn't worry at all uh, and I always think you know, I wish I could not worry <laughs> 
you know, because statistically yeah. it's very unlikely yeah, something's going to happen. Yeah, she's just out having a drink or, yeah, you know that, but you still can't help But it. yeah, I think, I mean, maybe, you know, a lot of it's, yeah, I mean, it's it's not the same as having someone pass away, but because I was six when I, just, you know, and he was supposed to be there and he wasn't, I kind of always think of that as a kind of, you know, that's, that that's like I said in the, the story, that's the moment that I realised that mm. death existed. Yeah. And since then I've not, been able to not be worried about people like you say yeah and I wonder to what extent because I, I don't think it can only be people that have lost or nearly lost someone I'm sure there are other there are people out there that haven't had that experience but who are just very worried about it anyway yeah yeah I think that's but true at the same time it's quite it's pretty common isn't it actually to yeah lost someone, well death especially is by our age that's right I mean well that's what I mean I I remember thinking it's strange that yeah, that I didn't know anyone, that I haven't known anyone that that, that, that died that I've known mm. that's close. I mean, that's, that's... I think the longer it goes on, the, the, the more impact it might have when it happens, you know, when someone yeah. really close to you dies. I mean, this, I worry about this. I worry about this with my family. I worry about the, the fact that, that my dad has got so old that... That it's going to be much more of a shock for for everyone because we we now we assume that he'll live forever. Yeah. Because he, you know, and and and, and yeah, and I don't know how it, how the fallout will be. I don't. I don't. I mean, I don't want. I don't want to be the kind of person who thinks about what the fallout will be. But I am. I'm the kind of person who sort mm. of yeah wonders about what will happen and all that. I was reading a thing today with the actress, I can't remember her name, I don't want to belittle her, but who went out with Heath Ledger, who killed himself. And she said after he died, she just, everybody she was with, she would just have to touch their face all the time just to to make sure that they were, you know, just to remind her that they were still alive, you know. Wow. That sounded, I mean, I don't know, maybe, maybe she's playing up for the journalists but I mean that that seemed like a very I can understand that do you know what I mean and having the touch of the person is the only thing that can do it yeah was it a funeral or a cremation or what a cremation cremation Mm. yeah Jen's granddad was a cremation and I like the idea of scattering the ashes did you guys do that Uh, no we didn't I think you can't do it everywhere there's I think they're, I don't know if Is there laws? There probably, probably are laws, yeah. Do it anywhere. But, um, and we talked about this and we decided that we'd just get a plaque and we bought a picture, actually, to remember Chris by. Because it was quite expensive yeah. to get the ashes. And not that that person, off, but we just thought it... And we didn't particularly feel it was of great importance. Mm. So um, they were buried in the... Um, what's the... What's the graveyard called when it's cremated? Crematorium. Crematorium, thanks. And there was a plaque, and then we bought a picture mm. from Canterbury. I know, I've made that story up. That was, I think that was a picture we bought um, to commemorate my dog's death, <laughs> actually. <laughs> because it was when we were looking at universities, and I would have already had my place at university by that point. So that would have been uh, Sandy's death. I can't remember. I think we did the same thing, but I can't remember where but else we got it. This is the interesting thing, isn't it? Like, you know, 
we're both, I guess, I'm nearly 30, you must probably be already 30. Yeah. And already we can't remember yeah. really significant details about our lives. Yeah, and when they happened. And when they happened, and, 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 yeah. and you don't know what you, you know, you start telling a story and you really think it's definitely true, and then halfway through you're like, oh no, I've yeah. got that completely that wrong. Because right, that was, yeah. I mean, I keep doing, I mean, I keep <laughs> listening back to myself doing that in conversation. Yeah, and actually, probably most people don't realise they said something that's not true because you don't get the chance no, to listen to your own conversation. No, I mean, I, I hope that everyone does it as often as I do. <laughs> that would be, that's a reassuring yeah, idea. Yeah, sure I do. Because the thing that people say is that you should see the body. Did you see the body? Yeah, I did. I think, I'm, yeah, I must have already done that with my nana. So that was the, I think at that point I was like, you do what? <laughs> <laughs> So I'd already had that shock with my nana. With Chris, my mum said, quite funnily and very true, uh, he just looked weird because he was quite his skin was quite wrinkled, quite leathery. Like he looked like a well-worn person. He he was. He'd gone through a lot. Had a, lots of different experiences in his life. He looked like that kind of yeah. You know, been through a lot kind of guy. And then of course when he was in the coffin, it was very smooth his skin. Um, and it looked really weird because it wasn't the Chris that we knew. It wasn't we didn't have any wrinkly skin, um, which is really funny and uh, something I think you know Chris would have had a chuckle about. Like, yeah. Oh, funny! I've got no wrinkles. <laughs> um, but yeah. it was really nice. We did the we planned all the kind of service, and I I designed a little kind of leaflet thing like the with the the order of service. So it was actually a really nice kind of couple of days that we spent doing that. And it was all very otherworldly. And, and um, was it Elspeth the first? Yeah, the first interview was with Elspeth, yeah. the lady that died. In the shop, yes. In the yes. shop that she worked at. And the weirdest thing being when someone came in and wanted to buy something at the till and, and she's like, well, can't we, there's just someone, what, like, someone's died. Yeah. And life goes on and it, that's the really weird thing about it. Like we were in our little cocoon of our house and of course Chris died in the house and we weren't even going to a hospital at that point and people were coming to us and that was the weird thing was was real life continuing and you sort of feel like you're watching yourself a little bit yeah that's how I mean that's how I remember that's how the day was when my dad was in the the hospital do you think that's what Big Brother feels like yeah maybe (laughs) (laughs) maybe maybe it's what these interviews feel like yeah I don't know. Well, we'll never know what Big Brother feels like. I can't. We won't be on Big Brother. No, I don't want to be on Big Brother. (laughs) I don't really. I don't think I could make it work for me. (laughs) No. I think I would crack up very, very quickly. All of the worst sides of my personality would come right out, like three days in. Oh, God. Yeah. (laughs) I definitely don't want to be on Big Brother. Conversation's taken a, taken a very strange <laughs> direction there, yeah. Let's just, I'm just gonna check. Wow, the time. Well, how are we doing? We are doing incredibly well, as in, we've, we've, we've spoken for quite a while. We have. Um, I can see the clock. Yeah. It's, it's whizzing by. I'm quite glad that you didn't say it in the first interview. Oh, how come? Because if you say the word death, it makes everybody sad. And you were talking about how yeah. positive he was. And even if, like, even in the Spark story where you were talking about all the positive things you'd learned and, and you, you, you'd, really, you'd really thought about, you know, 
you, you said some of them today, but you can never replay what you've already done. And so it, it's yeah. never going to be the same as when you did that Spark story. But at that Spark story, you were talking about all the positive things and it was a really lovely story, but it was sad because mm. it was about someone who died that, that these lovely things had happened. Yeah. Whereas I think that it wasn't sad in the first conversation. It was very kind of healing. It was like yeah, a kind I of... Yeah, I thought of that. And I, I, I sort of was was glad in a way. I was really surprised, <laughs> really surprised when you said, oh, by the way... Uh, <laughs> I didn't mention... Uh, yeah. Yeah. Now, but the... Other, and also... Oh, sorry. I, Go on. Well, there's a tendency, I guess, when someone's dead to see the good bits, isn't there? Yeah. And I... You know, I guess I probably do that, but I'm also well aware of how much he annoyed me. Like, he was... He, he wound me up like a brother would. And it was really annoying. He knew how to do that yeah. very, very well. <laughs> but yeah, I guess there's something nice about hearing the positive things without it being speaking well of the dead. I yeah. suppose there's nothing of that in there, is there? Yeah. Yeah, it was very... It was just... It was very... I mean, it was organic within the conversation. And it... Mm. And it if you'd have, I mean, if if you'd have mentioned it, it would have been a very different conversation. But you know, I'm quite glad that you didn't, in a weird way. Now, the other thing that you said that you didn't say was that in the first conversation we talked about you being someone who sits on the fence. Yeah. And you said after the conversation you realised that there were, I think you said three, but I don't know if you're going to remember them. Oh, well, that's the way. <laughs> But you said there were some, th- there were three things that you didn't sit on the fence about, yes. and I want to know what they are. And um, you said you have to get me on the co- podcast again. <laughs> did I say? I think that? you did. You, well, you didn't say I'll have to get you on the podcast. What you said was maybe we'll leave that to another time or something like um, that. You were very mysterious. Yeah, I wanted so to ask really you about this it. actually because uh, um, I remember having that conversation, but also having no intention of doing another one. Mm. The thought of it, it felt very self-indulgent, like. Uh, going, can we talk about me for another hour, Dave, for you to put out for other people to hear? Yeah. It it's not what you I wanted, wanted to say. Yeah, right? I know, I, I realised that. I think it, it was kind of battered about, wasn't it? Because well, I immediately thought, done another one. here's a story, another sort of part of the story, and yeah. I really enjoyed talking to Louise the first time, I'd like to do that again, and I think... And I she'll hadn't quite realised that. ...be really engaging for people... Okay. So, so going back to the, the yeah. sitting on the fence exceptions, one of them is pro-choice abortion. I think when I was thinking about sitting on the fence, I see both sides of the story, and, and I find it really hard to understand and to accept how, how anybody can not accept someone else's thoughts or opinion or choice. Right. And this is one of them. So you are pro-choice. Yes. And I find it, as much as I can understand, intellectually the arguments pro-life yeah I still don't understand why how anybody can think it's okay to take away someone else's choice yeah I agree with that but but, but then I don't sit on the fence very much yeah, so <laughs> yeah. in a conversation you always come out as being pro-choice yeah yeah you know, I don't know in terms of personally if that's a choice that I would ever make. No, well, that's but different. But the idea that someone else could tell me that I don't have that choice just seems absolutely crazy to me. Yeah, no, I've, I mean, fair enough. So that's one. Yeah. The other was the death penalty. I also don't understand that. And these are... Um, <laughs> now I'm saying them, they're not quite such 
strong opinions they're more I don't understand how people can think this <laughs> actually which is slightly different isn't it but yeah it is, it, is it just strikes me that there, there's always doubt isn't there yeah. and I'm very aware of that because I'm always aware of my uh, the things that I don't know yeah. and things other people don't know but how can you possibly know enough to put someone else to death well, I, 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 I thoroughly agree with that. Oh, too. thank goodness, because I don't think I've defended my it, opinion. Yeah, I mean, right. I, it's hard. It's, it, it, you know, I'm, I'm not going to play devil's advocate about uh, pro, being pro-choice or the death penalty. I, I, I'm, I'm, <laughs> I am pro-choice and I don't, don't support mm. the death penalty. But they're not things that I go around thinking about that much. No. I, I think I've always been aware of these two being exceptions to my... I don't really know if I have strong opinions... I bet there's more than two. Yeah, I expect so. I mean, I bet they all kind of come from the same place. Like, they're all probably about, we don't know enough and you can't make decisions for somebody else. Yeah. I mean, those seem to be like your... Core issues, don't they? Yeah, I mean that's that's and that's part of why you sit on the fence because sitting on the fence is like, well, I mm. don't know enough, and I yeah. respect other people's opinions, and uh, so I, it kind of comes from the same place. Absolutely, so, yeah. In a way, if you're somebody that does that sits on the fence for a reason, like rather than just to be annoying, but because you kind <laughs> of believe in it, which is what you kind of were saying, that mm. you sort of believe in it as a as a way to be in fact I think that's what you plugged was sitting on the fence I did didn't I? Yeah. and if that's if that's if it's a kind of ideological outlook then those two different things spring from that don't they I mean yeah. they, they, they flow into each other that you, you can't sit on the fence if you're killing someone that's not sitting on the fence it's the opposite of sitting yeah on the that's fence. making a very strong judgment about what's right yeah. for someone else isn't it that, well yeah and you can't reverse that no you can't yeah you can't come back from yeah. that and I also believe that we we can't know what's best for someone else there are so many unknowns in in the in the universe, not just things that we don't know about that person, but things that we can't predict that may or may not happen. I guess the thing that somebody would who was pro, I don't even like the word pro life. I don't even like the term because I don't think it is pro life. But somebody of that opinion might say it's contradictory to be against the death penalty, but support the mm. opportunity for people to have abortions. Yeah. Because they, they see that as a kind of death penalty, don't they? Yeah. That's their their way of seeing it. I don't yeah. I don't agree with it. And that's but. my one area of weakness is like I can even understand how people if you believe that as soon as a a fetus is conceived, they are a human being, then I can understand why they think that. Yeah. For them though. Yeah, and to me I guess then that becomes the same as my I don't believe in the death penalty. But again, that's for them. Well, I'm pro-choice, so if somebody chooses to keep their baby because they consider that that baby is alive already and they want to bring it to term and then give it up for adoption or look after it themselves or whatever they want to do, yeah. then that's that's completely their right to do that. But I, I, I don't think that every life is necessarily going to be a happy one. And if a parent thinks, I can't give that child a a good life and it's going to make my ex- existence much worse than they're, they're, they're right to, to not do that to and not have that choice. yeah and that's their that's their choice which is a very very long way of course I'm saying if a, a parent is in the right position they should not have the baby which is I guess an argument that people who are anti-abortion might put forward that 
it's what? persuading it's pressurising people yeah um, I mean that's true and sometimes we don't give people enough opportunity to make choices I think that there's probably an argument that could be said that that abortion is pushed as the only answer to somebody who gets pregnant when they don't want to be yeah. and so that, that maybe if we had a different way of dealing with things then more people might choose not to have abortions because they might see a way that in their life it can work for them in that moment but I mean if all of the people who were pro if all these people who are pro-life were actually pro-life then they would be going around trying to make the world an easier place for, for yes, women yeah <laughs> generally yeah. <laughs> and for people yeah I can't remember the third no I can't remember the third probably something to do with racism or something could be that was me that's me, <laughs> me projecting third. on you but, but I suspect if you were in the room with someone who was supporting the BMP you wouldn't really sit on the fence yeah and that's the thing it's, it's, uh, but then again it's, it's extreme views isn't it At least again. yeah I guess that's true that, that is what I'm um, yeah I have an issue with is extreme views that don't take the other view into consideration so the last question that I ask people is do you have anything that you'd like to plug because of course this was sprung on me last time so yeah. it was coming and afterwards I thought oh is there anything I could have, I could have thought of and I failed to, to prepare for this moment yet again cleverly <laughs> <laughs> I suppose I could plug the work I do which are language shows in schools which I think are great and actually I don't think I talked about it much last time because I I get bored talking about what I do, but actually I really Because you know it really well, that's the yeah. problem, isn't and it? and I yeah. think that other people... Because I, I talk to other people in the same area as me, I don't particularly get passionate about it, I suppose. And you go um, into schools, don't you, and do sort of theatre work, teaching children languages through theatre then, I guess? Yeah, so I do the French and Spanish shows and other shows as well. I work for Big Wheel Theatre Company. But it's just great. I love it. And I think it works really well. And it's an amazing experience for kids. We go in and we only speak in the language. So they have a little bit of this amazing Frenchness come to them. And we're not claiming to be France, although sometimes they think that we're coming and teaching them what it's like to be in France, (laughs) which is really funny, because mostly we're just being very, very silly. But it's really nice that I have this thing that I believe in it works really well and I'll kind of that's great you know it's a project as well as a, a job and also the other thing would be what we were talking about earlier telling people you know whether it's saying goodbye or whether it's just telling somebody how you feel about them or about something in that moment and not putting it off I would plug that well that's a great thing to plug and something that's certainly crossing my mind a lot at the moment do you have a website for your theatre in education yeah it's bigwheel.org.uk and if you are someone who wants to book great theatre companies to come into your school primary schools is it yeah we do secondary as well but oh, mainly primary, primary primary or secondary schools then uh, if you can contact me on the show and I'll pass your details on to Louise and she'll the second plug that you said that's kind of the end of what the story that I told at the Spark ended with as well mm. really because yeah, that's in a way one of the things that getting better acquainted is allowing me to do is to ask the questions that I'd never asked my parents about what their lives were like before I was around 
I think that's a really important thing to do, to talk to people yeah. while you can. I learnt that lesson when my granddad died, which was a few years after Chris died. Which was also amazing, because he was in um, a nursing home, and we were going to have to make the decision to move him potentially to a different nursing home. And I went and said my goodbyes, even though he wasn't dying. I just thought we had a really nice chat as adults. And uh, he said he wanted to go and be with Nana, and he wasn't really bothered about hanging around much more. And I said, yeah, good for you. That sounds like a great plan. It's going to be great. And he died that night. So I also think, sometimes in saying the right thing, that allows the right thing to happen. Wow. Well, that's that's an amazing thought to end on. (laughs) Um, Yeah, it is, isn't it? It's been a... A real pleasure getting even better acquainted with you. <laughs> and you too, Dave. Yeah. And the last thing I say to people is, do you want to say goodbye to the audience? Yeah. Goodbye, audience. Bye. Since we recorded this conversation, Louise has started a couple of new projects, and so I thought I would promote them at the end of this episode as well. So, she's part of Les Raconteurs. L-E-S-R-A-C-O-N-T-E-U-R-S. Now, I probably mispronounced it. And they do storytelling events in French and Spanish for adults this time. You can find them at lesraconteurslondon.wordpress.com and you can find them on Facebook under Les Raconteurs. Louise is also involved with a monthly French cabaret called Soiree Pompette. So you can find them online as well. Have a look, search for Soiree Pompette. And Louise is going to be performing a story written by Jen, my girlfriend, at the stand-up tragedy night that I'm running in the Leicester Square Theatre in London. She'll be performing on Monday the 7th of May. Tickets are available from www.standuptragedy.co.uk use the code TRAGIC you'll get cheaper tickets so try you can find Getting Better Acquainted on Twitter at UBA Podcast you can find it on Facebook it's Getting Better Acquainted have a search on Facebook and like it or you can find it on the website www.gettingbetteracquainted.co.uk you can also subscribe by searching on iTunes and subscribing to us that way. There are lots of ways to get better acquainted. Have you been enjoying listening to these free podcasts? I've been really enjoying making them. I'm not asking you for money for myself. I don't want to be paid for making these. But I do want to do some more things with this show and also with Stand Up Tragedy. If you want to help me to do this, I'd be really grateful because I can't do it on my own. I need a little bit of help. So please give what you can. Go along to the Indiegogo campaign. Type into your browser bit.ly forward slash GBA and S-U-T. It'll be great if I can hit my target. It'll be great if I even get somewhere towards that target. With the money, what I'm going to do is pay the performers who will be performing at Stand Up Tragedy and go on some more GBA road trips back to places where I have no real access to and I'll be interviewing some more people there remembering those places and taking some of your favourite guests along 
for the ride.